marijuana smoking, experts point out, can make a helpless addict of its victim within weeks, causing physical and moral ruin and death. The first legally sold marijuana here goes to an Iraqi war veteran. A new insurance study out this week looked at car crashes in several states that allow the use of recreational marijuana. Peterson. You're a doc. You've studied this. You've talked to the researchers. You're right. saying marijuana can kill cancer cells. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. Marijuana is illegal under federal law. States have legalized records. No wonder you can't open your eyes. What do you expect doping yourself up with this wrong stuff? What do you know about pot? Good morning. You are listening to the Cannabis Hour, a bi-weekly radio program where we discuss all things cannabis. I'm your host, Jen Procacci. Thank you so much for joining me today. I've got a great and informative show planned with three guests, one from each of the Mendocino County Cannabis Organizations. Together, we will be aiming to bring clarity to the proposed changes to the county's cannabis ordinance for the opening of phase three, as well as discussing the proposed 10% cultivation expansion, all ahead of the upcoming Planning Commission special meeting tomorrow. We've got a lot to cover, and I'll be taking your calls and questions starting at 945. Before we get started with that, I'd like to let you know that here at the station, we have just begun our spring quiet drive. The show must go on, and in order for it to do so, we need the support of members and listeners like you. If you'd like to become part of the KZYX membership and help our community radio station, one of the last bastions of democracy, please donate today by visiting our website, kzyx.org and clicking the link at the top of the homepage. I sincerely hope you consider becoming a member today. All right, we have so much to cover, so let's dive right in. Our guests today are Monique Ramirez, Patrick Sellers, and Sarah Bodner. Each one of them is representing one of Mendocino County's three cannabis organizations, Covalo Cannabis Advocacy Group, Mendocino Cannabis Alliance, and Cannabis Business Alliance of Mendocino County. Monique Ramirez is the founder of the Covalo Cannabis Advocacy Group that represents cannabis farmers in Round Valley and Covalo. CCAG has been engaged in policy advocacy since 2017 and continues to track state and local policies. Ramirez currently holds a specialty cottage outdoor license and serves on the policy committee for Mendocino Cannabis Alliance. Patrick Sellers is the board chair and policy committee co-chair of MCA, the Mendocino Cannabis Alliance, which he co-founded in 2019. Prior to that, he was the chapter director of the Mendocino County Growers Association and helped orchestrate their merger with the Mendocino Cannabis Industry Association to form MCA. Prior to the passage of Prop 64, he was a cannabis cultivator in Mendocino County's 9.31 program, but due to zoning and other restrictions of our county's phase one program, he had to shut down his farm. Since 2017, he has worked as an advocate and cannabis business consultant, working primarily primarily with legacy cultivators in Mendocino County. 
Sarah Bodner is the Policy Director for the Cannabis Business Association of Mendocino County, a professional trade association representing the collective interests of member businesses and family farms. Her career in cannabis began as the campaign manager for the Countywide Measure AF ballot initiative to regulate adult use cannabis in 2016, which led to work in community relations, cannabis operations, and policy consulting. All right, thank you so much to the three of you for joining us today. I wanna jump right in. A goal of today's show is to clarify what exactly phase three is in layman's terms, and also to clarify the proposed phase three cultivation, cultivation ordinance changes. Would one of you like to take the lead on explaining that? Uh, sure, I'd love to. Um, this is Patrick. Uh, so phase three is the um, new discretionary use permit cannabis program that's being proposed. Um, currently, folks that are operating legally in Mendocino County are in the phase one or phase two program that was launched in 2017. Um, since then, uh, there have been problems with CEQA compliance for the phase one operators. Um, and so um, phase three is uh, a potential solution uh, for those phase one operators to uh, meet the CEQA compliance that's required for uh, their state annual license. And um, the, but what's being proposed is, uh, doesn't really provide a pathway for those phase one folks. It provides a pathway for new cultivation um, for uh, certain folks in certain zones with um, uh, rigorous discretionary review. Um, and so I think what we'd really like to discuss here today is <clears throat> how we can make what is being proposed uh, something that does allow for the um, uh, workable transition of phase one folks um, into uh, state annual licenses. I'd like to add a little bit to the description of phase three. This is Sarah speaking. Um, one of the key differences between phase one and two and phase three is that the Initial cannabis programs under 10A17 and following amendments were limited only to operators who had previously been operating in the county prior to 2017. So the um, program has been closed for all new applicants, and there hasn't been an opportunity for other operators to enter the industry. And this was always the intention from the original creation of the Cannabis, the commercial cannabis program here in Mendocino County to offer a preferential window for those operators who were previously illegal to transition into the legal industry and give them time to make that move. And so this has really been in development from the very beginning over multiple years and has been deliberated by the Board of Supervisors from the inception to facilitate this transition. Monique, do you have anything you'd um, like to add? Sure. Um, I would just like to state that some of the key differences between phase one and what's being proposed under phase three is that there will be a lim an elimination of certain zoning um, that will no longer be able to cultivate under the phase three um, ordinance, as well as um, it looks like there could be an allowance of more cultivation than what is currently allowed. Um, the phase one ordinance allows up to a total of 10,000 square feet. And under the phase three ordinance, there's changes to allow up to an acre for some zoning and then up to potentially a 10% of your acreage of your parcel for other zones. 
Okay, thanks everyone for weighing in on that. I really appreciate it. I'm trying to really break this down for those who might be listening who um, are not involved in cannabis policy or aren't cultivators and they don't really know our lingo or what phase one or phase three means. And so I know that um, there are approximately 1,100 cultivators who have applied under phase one, which was the period of time when anyone who could prove prior cultivation in Mendocino County could apply to get um, a cannabis permit. So none of these people have received, as far as I understand, their actual cannabis permits from the county and therefore can't get their state permits or they just can't get their state licenses under phase one. Um, and moving forward under phase three, there is a suggestion by the county that these folks would just have to completely reapply under phase three. But like we said, some zoning types are going to be eliminated and there's, al there's also um, the proposal of many sort of barriers to entry for these people under certain changes. Could someone speak to, um, could someone speak to that sort of the barrier of entry this is creating for phase one operators who are sort of in this limbo? Yeah, and so from MCA's standpoint, the, 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 there are several things that are problematic about phase three in what's being proposed for phase three um, uh, that make it difficult for phase one folks to migrate over if needed. Um, the primary one being that anyone in phase one moving over to phase three would be required to go through a full major use permit. Um, there are three levels of discretionary review, um, an administrative permit being the least onerous, a minor use permit being in the middle, and a major use permit being the the most difficult um, and, and, and requiring the most time to process and, and includes a hearing before the planning commission, et cetera. Um, and what's being proposed though being described as um, having a carve out for phase one folks to migrate over to phase three um, is uh, requiring that major use permit for all phase one folks who are moving over to phase three, um, which essentially means that it would take um, if you calculate, uh, you know, based on the county's track record of processing use permits, um, we would estimate no cultivation for phase one folks moving over to phase three until at least 2023, if not later. I think one of the right. key things, I, I just want to clarify really quick, Sarah, before you comment here, is that what Patrick is referencing is that um, there is a proposed part of phase three where cultivators who are applying under phase three would not be able to cultivate during that time. So the situation he's describing is if someone is currently in phase one, they're operating their farm, they have been operating legally for years, they would have to cease their operation until their phase three permit was approved, which could potentially take years. Okay, Sarah, go ahead. Thank you. Yeah, and that's a super important point, Jen. So what there's a lot of elements to what didn't work in phase one. And the, the core factor that has been so problematic is that phase one was a ministerial use permit program at the county level. And to be a legal operator in cannabis, you have to have a county permit and also a state license. And if you don't have a state license, you cannot operate legally. For the last few years, there's been this temporary window you, where you could operate with a county permit and not get a state license. And that window is about to close at the end of this year. So operators in Mendocino County, we have, um, I believe, only one outdoor operator in the entire county currently holds a state annual license. And as of the end of this year, 
Um, whether you're in phase one in Mendocino County or you're an operator anywhere in the state of California, if you don't have a, a, an annual license, you can't continue cultivating. So one of the reasons why we don't have annual licenses in Mendocino County is that our phase one permit program was profoundly broken. We developed it before the state of California had really decided what they wanted to do with cannabis. And it turns out that the way we handled CEQA through our, our ministerial, which is like an over-the-counter permit, through planning and building didn't fit with state law. So our cultivators in terms of barriers to entry have had an, an incredibly difficult time getting their sites, their projects to pass CEQA to meet the county rules and jump through those hoops to then get a state license. And the fix here in phase three is that we're gonna roll out a different kind of program with discretionary use permits, which the state really likes. Operators in other counties who have use permits are getting state licenses. The problem is that we don't have that program in place yet. Um, time is running out and there will be a wait. So this is not unique to Mendo. And if you're in another county and you're in the line for the use permit, you're going to have to wait there as well. So we're really facing a, you know, a crisis at the end of this year in terms of will our operators be able to keep cultivating, keep their farms line. It's, it's not looking super hopeful at this point, but rolling out a discretionary use permit is really the only hope we have for ensuring that there is any pathway for these operators because phase one just didn't work. I'd like to respond to that if there's time. Yeah, go ahead. Or Monique, did you have something to add quickly before Patrick responds? Was that um, you that I heard? I'll let him respond. Yeah, it's okay. He can say something and then I'll respond. Okay, um, go wanna, ahead, Patrick. Yeah, I just want to clarify, you know, we're not opposed to the launching of a discretionary use permit program. Um, I think that is a necessary component to a functional system. But I also take issue with the idea that... Um, phase one is is entirely broken and provides no pathway or that the phase one program being ministerial is uh, an over-the-counter uh, uh, process without any environmental review. Um, the county's phase one program went through a comprehensive initial study and mitigated negative declaration. Those are the CEQA documents that back the, the county's program. And um, the county only recently in the last six months or so um, really let phase one operators know that completing the final step of their CEQA compliance would fall on them, that they would have to complete their own Appendix G and CEQA project description. CEQA is the California Environmental Quality Act, and that's what's um, kind of governing the, the process here. And so um, the, the, to say that phase three being proposed as a you know, full discretionary use permit program is the only pathway, I think is just incorrect. You, you, if you look at other counties, sure, there are folks getting annual licenses in other counties, but at what rate are they actually getting them? We've got you know, between 800 and 1100 existing phase one operators right now in this county. And you know, in Humboldt County, I believe they staffed up to 17 planners, which is far greater than our county, um, and are processing at most 80 or 90 um, uh, use permits a year. And so at that rate, you're talking about, you know, the proposed solution of phase three, you know, maybe in 
eight years getting all of the phase one people over into licensed cultivation. I mean, those folks would, you know, their businesses would be shutting down with one year of, of discontinuity of their business operations. And so um, we're not advocating for phase three to not move forward. We're not advocating for no discretionary use permit program. We're advocating that the phase one program not be abandoned and that the folks you know, the 800, you know, friends and neighbors and, and small businesses and family farms in our community that have been, you know, that, that stuck their necks out based on what the county offered um, are, are, you know, prioritized in the sense that the county doesn't, you know, fail to um, continue providing them with the necessary resources to move forward with continuity of business so that they don't have to move off their, their farm, you know, their homesteads and, 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 and shut down their businesses. Thank you, Patrick. Um, would and you this like is to go Monique. ahead and state something? Yeah, I would just like to add that, you know, legacy farmers are what have created this industry to even be what it is right now. And like Patrick is touching on, you know, we've just found out that our MND is not enough to help people pass through CEQA, but there is an Appendix G checklist, number 151683, I believe, um, that many applicants can potentially use to get through CEQA. And um, they're just now getting their consultants in order to figure this out. And so we still don't know yet how many will actually be able to use this pathway or not. And the county has not been able to provide any concrete evidence to say why they're saying 90% of the phase one operators won't be able to get through that process. Um, in fact, staff was directed to put together a checklist of things that would actually um, make people disqualified and they have yet to produce that document for people. Um, and I just believe um, firmly that we do need to have a pathway for phase one operators to transition to a discretionary use permit if they have to have mitigations placed on their permit. And we should absolutely prioritize them number one before any other application gets processed because they have already been in line waiting. Some people have been waiting since 2017 to have a county permit issued to them. And it's not their fault that county staff has changed. Um, we've lost cannabis managers. We've lost ag commissioners. We've moved the entire cannabis program from the ag department to planning and building. They have lost countless documents, made people resubmit. It has been an absolute disaster and it should not be painted that it's the phase one operators that have not been able to comply with the regulations because in fact they have. And we've just had a failed county government um, with the improper leadership to be able to execute a program effectively. This is Thank Sarah. You, Mo. And so, uh, so I just wanted to um, bring up a point really quick, Sarah, before you respond there, and it may be something that you're going to touch on anyway, which is that I have heard that the state is considering extending the provisional licenses due to so many counties sort of being in this position. Um, could someone speak to that? And Sarah, if that's something that you are planning on speaking on, you can definitely go ahead. Yeah, that would be great. Thanks, Jen. So all of our members are phase one operators, and I share the concerns of the other panelists that we don't have a clear pathway forward with phase one. It's been highly problematic. And there are a number of issues at the county level in terms of capacity that we need to be looking at for, for the entirety of the cannabis program. You know, we have, we currently don't have a lot of faith that phase one 
is going to get us across the finish line to get those licenses because of the legal opinion that was recently published by outside counsel um, that was engaged by the county of Mendocino that our phase one program may not actually meet the requirements of CEQA. We've tried to jam this thing through, you know, and I believe that at, in, in 2017, all of us who were advocating for phase one had the best of intentions and we hoped that the ministerial process would lead to a pathway where those um, applicants could get a permit and a license. It hasn't worked out. And so rather than focus on a broken program that's not working, we have to be building for the future at the same time. So no part of us wants to abandon phase one and have the county stop working on it. And I think we have more resources than we've ever had before in terms of a brand new cannabis program manager who's very experienced and a board that is so dedicated to solving this problem. We've never seen more engagement than we have from the current supervisors and the ad hoc committee, but we are up against the state reality. And Jen, your point about, you know, will provisionals be extended? That is the million billion dollar question right now. And there is state legislation called SB 59 that is being considered right now, actually by Senate committees. And it would allow for the extension of provisional licenses to allow the operators to have more time to come into CEQA compliance to be eligible for annual licensure. And we wholeheartedly supported SB 59. Um, very glad to have the Board of Supervisors explicit letter of support for that legislation as well. But unfortunately, what I'm hearing on the statewide level is that that our producer counties may be in the minority advocating for this. And so it's not something that I would advise anybody to, you know, base your business on that we're, it's a sure shot that SB 59 at the end of this year is going to carry us through. We hope it does, but there's, it's all about counting votes. And it, it sounds like in the Southern part of the state, legislators are not necessarily supportive of extending this. They see it that we've had four years um, that the operators who got in the system had a long time to come into compliance. And it's, it's not the fault of the county alone. You know, we all have to take responsibility for adapting to the changing landscape of doing business in this industry. So really quick before we move on, Sarah, I just wanted to ask you a question, which is that what I'm hearing from you is that you feel there is or you think there is no pathway forward um, under phase one because we don't satisfy the sequel requirements. And what I'm hearing from Monique and Patrick is that cultivators could use Appendix G as a possible pathway to satisfy those secret requirements. So would you just speak on what your um, view is on phase one cultivators being able to use Appendix G as a way to move forward? Yeah, I appreciate that question. I don't have faith in using Appendix G. Um, there is another option in phase one, which is that applicants can do a full site-specific CEQA analysis. And I think that that is the only legally durable foundation that will offer people any kind of guarantee. And everybody is really afraid right now and wants a guarantee. I have grave concerns that Appendix G will satisfy that. I'm recommending to any operator who, who is really concerned about con cultiv continuity of cultivation to look at every possible pot, every possible path. And that includes Appendix G. It's worth a shot, but I think everybody should also be getting bids on a full site-specific CEQA because we may have to go there and definitely be thinking about phase three and how to make it work for your farm. And I think there are some things that 
there are some things that legacy cultivators could be asking for around phase three to try to make that pathway uh, more accessible. I have a couple so quick would you just, points. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead, Patrick. Just, That's fine. We'll, just I'll keep it quick. Um, no, it's uh, fine. Go ahead. The, the idea that the, uh, the appendix G won't work for folks um, and, you know, based on the fact that our, our, our county's phase one program is ministerial, I think it's worth pointing out that other jurisdictions are actually moving in the direction of ministerial permits because their discretionary programs are, you know, not able to process enough permits quickly. And so even just south of us in Sonoma, what's being pr proposed is um, a, a ministerial program with a, instead of an Appendix G checklist after the fact, a best management practices document on the front end. Um, and if folks are able to meet the requirements of that that best, those best management practices, then they should be able to be issued a ministerial permit that CDFA will accept. Um, I also think it's really important for folks to understand that um, on March 5th, CDFA sent letters out to all the provisional license holders in Mendocino County asking them to um, provide evidence of their progress um, on their CEQA compliance. And in sending that letter out, they only indicated one pathway, and that is the Appendix G pathway. And so um, for uh, th th there is a statutory requirement that CDFA um, accept CEQA uh, documents direct, full CEQA documents, as Sarah said, but if you look at CDFA's track record of processing those full CEQA documents, um, it's, uh, I believe only 23 have been processed in the last two years. So um, it's not, you know, to say that that's a viable pathway, I think is, is, is risky as well. I do agree with Sarah though, that um, folks in this boat should be looking at all options and really considering how to go about their CEQA documentation process trying to do the Appendix G to the best of their ability, um, but also, you know, preparing to have to go forward with a use permit in phase three or submit CEQA documents direct to CDFA. So Monique, do you have anything to add before I ask the next question? Uh, no, you can go ahead and ask your question. Okay, so the point has repeatedly been made that phase three will bring increased environmental regulations as a result of the required site-specific environmental review. Um, however, phase one applicants using the current ministerial process already have to comply with the rigorous restrictions of multiple environmental agencies. And it's also been stated that local environmental groups such as the Wilts Environmental Center are not in support of phase three as currently proposed. So who would like to speak to this first? I would love to talk about the environment. Um, this is Sarah speaking. There, the, one of the key differences between phase one and phase three is that no commercial cannabis activity can begin before you have a state license in hand. And that would also mean having a county use permit in hand. So there's a really dramatically different rollout process here. And I think that's important to the environmental questions because phase one was allowed to operate in a more legal gray area. You know, we opened up the, the phase one applicant program and then applicants were able to get a county permit and operate for a number of years before they were, there was, they were required to fill out this environmental checklist as Patrick was talking about. Um, you know, we're, people are still working on getting their environmental compliance documents in order. And it's not really clear at this point of those applicants in phase one who is legitimately operating in the legal market or who may not be, who may have a county permit or an embossed receipt but has no intention of operating fully in the legal market. And there hasn't been a lot of environmental compliance 
assurances or enforcement of non-compliance. And phase three with the discretionary use permit program not only has robust environmental review as a prerequisite to beginning your operations, it goes through all kinds of um, the planning department's standard use permit review, which includes notification of neighbors of your project and an opportunity to give input on said project and to ensure that there is compliance before operations begin. So I think a lot of the concerns in the community, which I share um, around environmental noncompliance are really gonna be addressed in phase three. And this is not gonna be an easy path like for operators to have to go through all of those steps before you can dig a hole is incredibly arduous. And, but I think it also is gonna finally provide some assurance that projects are being sensitive to the environment, are being sensitive to the community, are being well thought out, that they're happening in the appropriate zones, and they're happening with the input of the entire community. Um, this is Monique, and I'd like to respond to that. Um, I think that to put all of our faith in a use permit process is maybe not the best thing. Um, we know that there are conditions that can be waived in a use permit process, um, and that's concerning. We also know that um, you know the use permit process is going to take a lot of time, but the staff is not going to take any responsibility for enforcing any of the mitigations that may be placed on a use permit. Um, that's been very clearly stated by a senior or a chief planner um, in the October um, Board of Supervisor meeting. So that's why a lot of environmentalists um, are very concerned about the kind of framework that we're putting forward for a phase three um, uh, permit process, especially when it touches on expanded cultivation allowance, which is currently capped to 10,000 square feet. So that's something that's really, really, really concerning. We're changing a completely um, different size to something much, much larger. I mean, everyone being capped to 10,000 square feet, that's like a quarter of an acre and what's being proposed is an acre and beyond. So, um, you know, there's a lot of points to be raised about the environmental concerns and how will staff actually be able to, um, you know, enforce actions that need to happen against people that do not comply. How many use permits in general have violations um, that get brought forward to planning commissions and boards of supervisors. Like that's something that I think is some interesting data to look at. We can't just say that just because it gets blessed with a use permit that everything's great. Um, you know, we still have to hold accountable every permit applicant um, to follow what is outlined in their use permit. And, um, you know, there's just so many concerns. We won't even have time to go through all of them. Um, but I definitely just want to highlight the, the fact that we can't just say use permits are the end all. And then the other highest priority, I think, for environmental groups is the fact that if the county is able to get this ordinance adopted before January or before July 1st of this year, it will be exempt from conducting a CEQA analysis, analysis on the ordinance itself because each project will have to go under a site-specific review, but that does not actually look at the cumulative impacts of the entire uh, ordinance holistically. So it's not looking, it's looking, yes, specifically at each project, but it's not tallying up all of those projects and then looking at the cumulative impacts of that on a countywide level. 
that part of CEQA would be exempt. And in any ordinance that is ever passed in, in government, it always has to have a CEQA. But this provision exemption is allowed under um, the Business and Professions Code, which I don't have the number. I think it's 26055. Um, so this is another big concern that I think environmental groups are raising um, an eyebrow to for this specific um, ordinance. May I respond to that, Jen? Yeah. Um, really quick, before you respond, I want to give Patrick a chance to respond. And then I also just wanted to say that, Monique, when you were speaking about um, the problem with use permits potentially being enforced, it did bring to my mind the um, memory of what happened with Grist Creek aggregates years ago violating the terms of their use permit and basically continuing to operate um, while just paying fines because they were a really profitable profitable business and could afford to do so. So I do think you raise a good point that use permits are not always enforced. And Patrick, I do want to give you just a chance to respond before we go back to Sarah. And then we're going to move on to the expansion topic after this. Okay, great. Um, I appreciate that. And, and Sarah, I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll want to go after I speak. I, I, I just really... Uh, I have to take issue with some of the characterization that, that you're making, Sarah, about the phase one program and the phase one applicants. Um, first of all, the idea that they're, you know, still not, uh, don't have their environmental documents in place. I mean, until the end of last year, the county was still talking about um, the environmental documents as if they would do them in-house and that it wouldn't be the applicant's responsibility. It's only at the beginning of this year that it's been made clear that the applicants are having to take that responsibility on themselves. And let's face it, cannabis farmers aren't developers. They don't understand CEQA and they're only understand, you know, they're only now able to make sense of what they're having to do. And that's why CDFA just this month sent out letters asking people to demonstrate progress of, uh, 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 of their CEQA process. Secondly, the idea that it's, you know, it's hard to tell who in the phase one program is operating legitimately. 800 of the 1100 or almost 900 now of the 1100 have provisional licenses from the state. That means that they've gone through the entire state application process. That means they're enrolled in all of the environmental agency programs that they have to be enrolled in. And so thirdly, to say that the environmental compliance isn't being enforced on these projects is, is just false. I mean, there's you know, your organization says that you want to normalize cannabis as agriculture in the county, but, you know, uh, what's already required for phase one folks is the most rigorous uh, set of requirements for agriculture that's ever been in place. I mean, you've got to be following the, response, the, the requirements of the water board general order. Um, you're, there's limitations on your water source that aren't uh, there for other agriculture. You have to have a full site uh, uh, CDFW LSA agreement. I mean, all of those things are already in place under phase one. And, and, and you know, phase three doesn't add that level to uh, a level of review. It, it provides the CEQA compliance component. But I mean, cannabis agriculture in Mendocino County in phase one is already um, meeting rigorous environmental standards. And I think it's disingenuous to paint it otherwise. Sarah, if you don't mind just keeping your response a little bit brief because it is 940 and I just want to make sure we have enough time to discuss expansion before we open the phone lines, but please go ahead. Absolutely. I hope I'm wrong. I, I hope that phase one does work, but I feel I would be negligent if I didn't communicate clearly that I think there, it, that it just doesn't work with state law and that cultivators need to be aware of that. And I know how hard they've worked and I know how rigorous it's been. 
But I do think given the rigor of complying with phase one and how it, insurmountable it's been for local operators, that the last thing we'd want to be doing at this point is invoking the environmentalist argument that we are not, that we're being exempt from CEQA and that's giving us any sort of free pass when it's quite the opposite. Getting this in place um, and discretionary use permit ordinance in place by the end of this year doesn't mean that projects are CEQA exempt at all. It just means that the taxpayers aren't going to have to pay an additional million plus to do the county level CEQA review in addition to everything that cultivators already have to comply with. And it will only serve to delay the rollout of a viable legal cannabis program. Thank you. Okay, so we have all heard the term 10% expansion thrown around, and I think we've been hearing about alternative proposed caps to cultivation as well. Who would like to define the 10% expansion as proposed for phase three? Uh, well, seeing no one else, uh, I'll go ahead. I'm, what's being proposed that is in cer certain zones, specifically ag zones, upland residential and rangeland zones, um, that expansion would be allowed um, uh, up to, for parcels over 10 acres, that expansion up to 10% of the parcel size would, would potentially be allowed. Um, uh, it, it, you know, it would still go through uh, the environmental review process and, and projects would be limited based on their uh, environmental impacts and, and what the plant, what the, the, the property can sustain. Um, but that being said, um, the right 240 acre rangeland parcel would be able to apply for and potentially receive authorization to cultivate 24 acres, for example. Thank you, Patrick, and I think for it saying that. Should um, be added that. Go ahead, Mo. Um, I was just going to add that in order to um, get that size uh, approved for upland residential and rangeland, they would require a major use permit. And for ag land, it's being proposed as a minor use permit. So I just wanted to add that. Monique, could you quickly clarify the difference between those two permits, even just vaguely for folks listening who might not understand what they are? Are you there, Mo? I think you're on. Sorry, mute. I had my mute. Oh, that's um, okay. Patrick Go ahead. earlier, and he said um, that major use permit is the most rigorous of the three use permit processes, and minor use permit is kind of medium level. The major use permit is currently 6200 and some change, <laughs> um, and so it's definitely more expensive than the other options. And I believe absolutely would have a public hearing. Okay. So my next question, I'm going to pose this question. And after everyone has a chance to respond, I'm going to open up the phone line to callers. So I've been hearing significant concern in the community that a 10% expansion could devastate the legacy cultivation community, making permitted small cannabis farming no longer, no longer a viable enterprise in our community. Can someone speak to that? Um, this is Monique, and I can just say that there is a lot of concern about um, the rollout of this type of expansion at this time, um, and our community is extremely concerned. I know that um, the Covalo Cannabis Advocacy Group is recommending a far 
smaller expansion allowance um, at this time and that we need to look at the fact that the state does not even allow for any licenses above one acre. That license type won't even be available until 2023, and it still has to go under review and prove that there's a need for it because the supply chain, um, you know, doesn't have enough cannabis. Um, so we don't even know yet what the state's going to end up deciding on that. And it seems almost ridiculous to even plan out a business plan for a farm when we don't even know for sure what the state's going to end up allowing. They may cap the amount of licenses that they give out to the state to help control um, having too much supply in the market. I, I think that that is something very concerning and should definitely be acknowledged. I know on the other side of this coin, people are saying, well, because it does take so long for government to get things in order, we need to start now so that when 2023 does um, you know, come to light that we'll be ready to go with this license. But we need to understand how things move from now until then. A lot can change in the market. Um, let's see how many cultivators make it through the CEQA. Um, let's really give it some opportunity to um, to work itself out before we start forging a path of almost what could be looked at as like unlimited expansion, depending on how, how large of an opportunity operation um, you could be eligible for. And there's so many reasons why we shouldn't do it, but um, I just want to keep it to, you know, the issue of the state license, not even having um, that size available at this time. Would anyone else like to speak to that before I open the phone lines? Yeah, I would love to. Um, Go ahead. MTA's advocating for a limit on expansion to one acre until January 1st of 2023, at which time we would ask that the county um, revisit the question of expansion and consider um, the environmental impacts to date and the market conditions. You know, perhaps, you know, interstate commerce will open up or things like that. Um, but um, when you go through a CEQA analysis, it's required that you assess the cumulative impacts of projects. And, you know, we all know that our environmental resources are a finite resource. Um, and, and the impact that an industry can have or that all industries collectively can have um, is, is, is limited. Um, and that's what CEQA does. It limits the impact on the environment for um, development projects. And, you know, what one of my biggest concerns is if a 10 acre farm goes in uh, in the same watershed or pulling from the same aquifer in the same bioregion as, uh, uh, you know, 110,000 square foot farms or 10 one acre farms that are in line behind it in the application queue. Um, that 10 acre farm going in first means that those farms behind it are going to have to be assessed based on the cumulative impact existing at that time of the other farm of, of the larger farms. And so by allowing 10% expansion at this point in time, you're basically allowing those larger businesses to um, eat up the potential environmental impact um, at the expense of everyone else in the watershed, farmers or domestic use of residences alike. Sarah, did you want to go ahead before we open the phone lines? Yeah, thank you. I love small farms and cottage farms. And this is really not about as small as beautiful. It's about the fact that small is no longer viable in the industry. And an acre isn't enough to sustain a legal cannabis farm at this point. The 10% provision really mirrors regionally a best practice. This is what 
Lake County did. This is what Sonoma is now doing because they realized that putting artificial caps on production was only hurting the small farms. I think it's a, a false construct to say that capping production at an acre is going to save them at this point. And the cannabis market doesn't begin at or end at the Mendocino County line. And I think what we really need to be talking about is what is going to pave the way forward for a viable industry where farms who would like to participate in the legal industry, whether you're a legacy farmer or you're a farmer and rancher who wants to get into it, have that path forward. And that's what phase three is really about. And 10% allows the scale at which that can be viable. Um, and that's still all subject to site-specific review. You know, there's a lot of fear. I think that, ten, that people are hearing 10% and they think 10% of the county is going to be covered in weed. And what we're talking about is that there's a limit up to 10% given the site-specific suitability of cultivation on your land. So I'm going to um, just open up the phone lines quickly, and then we can continue to discuss this as we wait for callers. Um, callers, I just want to ask that if you are calling in, please keep your questions brief and be prepared to take your answers off the air for um, maximum use of our time. So that number is 707-895-2448. 707-895-2448 if you'd like to call in with a question or a quick comment. Okay, while we're waiting, Monique or Patrick, would either of you like to respond? Um, I would. So I just want everyone to know that I'm a specialty cottage outdoor operator. And when we talk about expansion and saying that if we don't allow it... Oh, Monique, are you there? I think we lost you. It looks like you muted yourself back. Sorry, my, yeah, my computer keeps acting up. Um, when we say that, you know, expansion will, uh, if we don't allow expansion, it will hurt small farms. I would argue the contrary. The more we expand, the more mark, the more product that's out there, then inevitably prices will become, uh, prices will decrease. And as prices decrease, then people will feel like they have to scale up even more to keep staying profitable but small farms limited by their land their labor their resources their water availability will not be able to scale up and many farms do not want to even if they could because they believe in just the small farming mentality to live within their means and to be able to farm in a way that they can actually handle and so if everyone's scaling up across the state and we have a ton of farms, you know, that are not here in Mendocino County and in other regions that are also legacy producers. They will not be able to compete with prices that just drop to the floor because we'll always be limited by our footprint and things like that and our, and our availability to even cultivate at that scale. And so it will put us out of business. And that is a reality that we have to acknowledge. And I understand that people want to create larger businesses and we're not against that in CCAG and our recommendation would actually be to allow a 22,000 square foot uh, footprint for outdoor operators. We feel that that is appropriate at this time. It's more than doubling what we currently allow and this is a great compromise and I think ultimately all of our organizations are going to have to come together to find a workable solution. We're all going to have to step down from our position and find something that works for everyone in this community. Um, if we're starting out at 10% on one side, there's people in this uh, community that don't want to see any expansion at all and to keep it at 10,000 square feet how can we find a compromise? Um, I pose this question to all of us. 
um, I think we have to really examine everything at play and um, and consider all viewpoints. I appreciate everyone's point of view, and CCAG is in strong support of allowing 22,000 square feet at this time. Okay, thank you, Mo. We have two callers waiting, so we're going to take the first caller. Hi, caller. You're live on the Cannabis Hour. Do you have a quick question or quick comment? Caller, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, great. Do you have a quick question or a quick comment? I have a comment and a question. Um, my name is uh, Jerry Munn. I'm a First Cut Farms. I'm a Phase 1 licensed operator in uh, this regulatory system. And the big comment is what I keep hearing is small farms aren't viable. And we've been in the regulatory system here for years, and it is viable. We are surviving, and we are producing crops into the legal market. The one uh, person on the panel made a comment that the other counties realized that small farms weren't able to do something. These counties didn't realize anything. They're being lobbied by international corporations like Cresco Labs and Gotham Green Partners. And my question is, why is expansion tied with phase three? Thank you. I'd love to take that Thank one. Thank you. That's okay. Thank you so much, caller. Yes, go ahead. Um, I agree. Why is expansion tied to phase three? I think, you know, MCA has been getting painted as against the phase three program and against this alternative scenario of a discretionary use permit program. And we're not, we're, we're against this massive expansion that's only going to be available to a limited few projects. Um, and, and I think to speak to the, um, uh, they don't have to be connected. Um, and to speak to the, the, the idea that small doesn't work, that small is broken. Um, the, the state hasn't even yet launched its Cal Organics program for cannabis or the Appalachians program for cannabis, which are two things that are going to make craft production of cannabis in our county more and more viable over time. And so I think it's it's really selling things short. I work with a lot of cannabis farmers and um, the majority of the ones I work with are doing just fine being able to um, run their businesses and make a profit off of 10,000 square feet. They mostly want to expand up to 22,000 or an acre. Most of them don't want to expand beyond that. And they're doing just fine financially. So we do have two more callers waiting. Unfortunately, we only have four minutes of airtime left. So I'm going to do my best here. But really quickly, before we take another caller, I know that there is a special planning commission meeting tomorrow. Um, is one of our guests today able to really quickly just give the information for how someone can watch that meeting and how they also can register to comment if they would like to? Sure. So, um, first of all, the information can be found on our website, mendocannabis.com, if you click on the policy section. Um, also, uh, uh, written comments can be sent in today before 5 p.m. Um, the sooner the better, because the Planning Commission is also in a full session today. Um, and uh, signing up to 
uh, and the website is, uh, or the email address is pbs at Mendo, uh, mendocinocounty.org. Um, and the, uh, if you'd like to speak during tomorrow's planning commission hearing, uh, then you need to register um, uh, before 7 a.m. tomorrow, uh, again, by emailing pbs at mendocinocounty.org. Um, it'll be uh, viewable uh, on the county's YouTube channel. And this planning commission hearing is in regards to phase three on the proposed expansion. Is that correct? That's correct. And also the uh, proposed changes to the cannabis facilities business uh, ordinance, which um, governs non-cultivation activities as well. Okay. So, Sarah, I see you have your hand up there. We're going to take one more caller really quickly. We only have two minutes left, and hopefully you'll have a chance to respond. I'm going to do my best here. All right. We're just going to quickly take one more caller for a really quick question or comment. Should the same cap Color, be you applied to grape growing? Go ahead. Should the same caps be applied to grape farms? Why or why not? Okay, great. Would anyone like to really quickly take that question and answer it in just like one minute? Yeah, I think what we're talking about is how are we going to treat cannabis? And it's been the mantra of the industry for a long time that we want to treat cannabis as agriculture. And what that means is really ending prohibition in practice. If we continue to enact artificial caps and limit cultivation, are we really treating this as agriculture and are we really seeking to end prohibition on this plant? In the same token, then why is it limited to certain zones and not all zones where row and field crops are allowed? And why is it only with a minor or major use permit? So, I mean, to say that you want to treat cannabis as agriculture, but what's being proposed also treats it as a development activity in other ways, uh, I think, you know, we've got to look at it from all sides holistically. Yeah, and then also to add, our county doesn't even allow people to grow medically or personally for recreational uses without having 10 acres of cannabis or um, 10 acres of land to even do that activity outside. So, I mean, we're a long ways away from um, saying that cannabis is deemed agriculture. And I would argue that the wine industry and every every industry in agriculture needs to farm in a responsible way. And we are the leaders right now in agriculture because we are going through a very rigorous um, CEQA and environmental review to make sure that we are conducting um, farming practices in a responsible way, a responsible way that considers land stewardship. And we're opening up the hemp program as a pilot program with limited limited uh, scale cultivation. Um, it would seem logical that um, if we're doing that with hemp, um, for various reasons that we would do the same with cannabis. Okay, thank you. And I'd like to add, do so one thank have to be trapped? Oh, I'm sorry, Mo, you accidentally muted yourself there. But unfortunately, um, we have to wrap up now. We are just in our last 30 seconds of airtime here. So I just want to thank all of our guests today. Um, Patrick Sellers, the board chair and policy committee co-chair of MCA. Sarah Bodner, the policy director for the Cannabis Business Association of Mendocino County. And Monique Ramirez, the founder of the Covalo Cannabis Advocacy Group. I will be back two weeks from today with another episode of the Cannabis Hour. Thank you all for tuning in and have a beautiful day.
This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.